Welcome back, everybody. It is my honor, joy, and pleasure to welcome somebody who I'll always be grateful to, who may not know about this, and she may be embarrassed by it, but I will mention it anyway. So before I do so, please welcome to the program uh, a wonderful casting director, Erica Arbal. Well, thank you, Alan. I'm so happy to be here, and now I really want to know what you're referring to. <laughs> Your agency, the uh, Arvold Casting, has been my first guest star uh, audition. So that, uh, I'll, I'll always remember it, I'll always be appreciative of it, and it was yet another kind of sign of the universe showing, yes, you can do this, and yes, people are interested. I didn't end up landing the role, but that's irrelevant. The fact that I, I had a chance to audition and I was you know, I went through the process of being in a recurring guest star role on a, you know, big series was a big, big step uh, for me. Uh, it was my first, I'll always remember. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'm glad, you know, one, that's one of my most favorite things about casting, especially, um, you know, I started out in location casting in Chicago and then I moved to Los Angeles and did um, you know, the main casting, I guess you could call it, and hired location casting directors. And then um, now that I'm in on the East Coast again, I'm a location casting director again. And one of the benefits of that is being able to watch very fast um, growth and uh, expansion of other screen artists, whether they're actors or PAs that all of a sudden, you know, are then the production designer or perhaps a director and whatnot. And that is, um, it just makes me so happy. So I'm glad, I'm glad. And then one thing I would just offer you is um, the casting directors work for casting companies mm -hmm. and agents work for agencies. And so a casting agent or a casting agency is a complete conflict of interest because it would be the casting director who's hiring the actor but negotiating with the agent for the actor. So like, you know, we're like um, separate. So anyway, a lot of people do it, but it's a thing. And so I just like to get it out in the public to know it's casting director, casting company, agent, agency. Yes, totally. thank, thank you very much. And sorry for, uh, for that. You are absolutely a casting director, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's it's a part of the vernacular that we kind of have to be uh, careful with. But yes, uh, there is a very specific distinction. Thank you for uh, pointing it out. Um, and you did mention Chicago. I am in Chicago. Uh, we both went to the same school. You both, you and I went to DePaul, which uh, I am a big fan of. You've uh, done your homework. Yeah, well, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, enough to know that, and again, just to uh, to make you blush a little bit more, is the fact that you were involved in 145 films and 85 TV shows, and it's more. And it's not just that you're only a casting director, which is probably not giving you any chance to sleep as is, but you're also a writer and a director and a producer and many other things, which brings lots of my questions into play of when do you get a chance to do most of them, if any of them at all? Um, I... Um, here's my, I've had this, this question come up previously. So I block schedule and I block okay. schedule every day and I block schedule my weeks and I block schedule my months. 
so I know exactly what the highest priority is and what the secondary priority is, et cetera. Um, there's no way I could even block schedule without an unbelievable staff and team of casting associates, casting assistants, education managers, and um, writers, and then my own personal assistant. So like we have a staff and I am an accidental CEO. I didn't know that having so many interests um, would lead to me owning a small business, essentially, that does many different things. And when I left Los Angeles and came to the East Coast, I thought I had honestly like retired from the business and raised my child and, you know, I'm a wife. And so I thought, okay, this is great. And I got squirrely in two minutes. I was like, I cannot, this, I have got so many creative ideas. I would, you know, drive myself crazy as well as my family crazy uh, if I didn't pursue them. And um, it makes me a better mother and a better, you know, family member, frankly, because my parents live here too. So, um, but um, I, I block schedule. I'm very, very strict about my sleep and my eating habits and my, like, I feel like I'm in training. Like, like I'm a former athlete. So I feel like that is just, a part of the cadence of, of my life. And, um, you know, that everything I do works in concert and informs when I do go down the rabbit hole, which, you know, my logo is a circle. And I, I love saying I go down the rabbit hole of a project or wearing a very specific hat, how I'm serving this story, how I'm, a, how I'm contributing to the storytelling of this project whatever hat I'm wearing, I go down that rabbit hole and then I kind of come back up. But it always, my experience always informs me. My directing informs how I could be a better casting director. My casting helps me be a better producer. Like it's just, it's, it's always a domino effect. And so um, it also helps me understand how how there are boundaries and it's really important. And you know, there are some people who work on a set and say they're not in the director position, for instance, but they are wanting to be a director, right? Well, sometimes they can get a little gray where, you know, they don't really want to do their job because they just want to be on set all the time watching what the director's doing. And so their job at hand might suffer because of um, what they want to do. And I think the more experience you have in individual jobs, the more respect you have for those boundaries and the more you can really serve those jobs because you have an overview. And, um, and nothing's wrong with witnessing, but you have to know your priorities. And I'm pretty darn strict with my priorities. <laughs> That's great, and uh, I, I'll echo that again. Not myself, but talking to uh, to other actors who have done writing, who have done directing, who are very successful in all of these endeavors. When they get on set as an actor, and I ask them that question, you know, when you're looking at the script, do you ever want to change it? And the answer is, it was, it was surprising to me uh, initially, but the answer is always no. I am here as an actor. I am not here as a writer. I am not here as a director. If somebody asks me a question, I'm happy to uh, offer advice, but no, I am here doing my job. So I, you know, absolutely hearing that same thing. Um, in terms of uh, sleep, I, I want to come to that because as a casting director, sleep is something that uh, is, is a difficult uh, thing to come by because of how busy uh, you tend to be. And you said you're very rigid with it. How much sleep are you getting? 
Well, if you asked me last night, that's not my average. It was crazy. I was up until 1 a.m., which is not like me. I am typically in bed between 10 and 11, and I wake up around 8. Okay, so you're you're getting your you know, eight-plus hours of sleep, which is very good to hear. I, do. I, I mean, I would sleep 13 hours a night if I could, but I think that's why I have so much energy all day, and I think that's why I can you know move quickly and and whatnot. But it also... I have typically, I mean, really, really staff-wise, I have one associate and one assistant on one project. And then if I have a second project, I have a different associate and assistant that is a team on that project. And it's the only way that I can oversee all of it and creatively be have my hands in there, but also trust that all the organization and the communication and all of that is is taken care of so i don't need to do those kinds of things that i did years ago but that was part of learning like when i say accidental ceo that's that's part of learning what what is my time really mandatorily needed for and um and can i you know, with the budgets that, you know, some budgets are really small, but can we afford to to do that so that everyone, you know, is is healthy and get some sleep? Um, the the other thing I learned just being a business owner is I have health insurance for my employees. And with this pandemic, I became stubborn beyond my own expectations. And I know I'm stubborn, but um, I would not I would not let anyone go because I didn't want them to have to lose or even have the chance of losing their health insurance. And so we ramped up our education department in two facets to just get us hopefully not only offering to the community and the actor, you know, screen artists and actors and whatnot, a, a place to um, further their craft and, and you know, support their art, artistry, but um, for us, it was mandatory to just say, okay, we can't rely on some of our other parts of our business. So now we're going to create a model that long term, hopefully, will be reliable. But it's quite a, a philanthropic endeavor on my part, to be honest. It, it is. Being a, being a CEO myself, I, I certainly understand it. And I, I remember, you know, after September 11th, I did not let anybody go. Uh, I wanted everybody to continue working. That ended up being bad for me financially because I ran into about 300,000 of my own uh, debt. Yep. That took me years to pay off, but it's you either care about your people or you don't. So mm -hmm. I, 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 I certainly understand that, right? And from the education perspective is one of the, one of the ways that uh, I interacted with you and your team is through education because you have your own approach. And uh, it's not just you're on the casting side, but you also help people understand how to be better actors. And the number one thing for me was, again, everybody has their own methods, and I want to talk to you about yours in a moment. But to me, the main thing is energy. And what is the energy behind it? And as soon as uh, the workshop that I took with you uh, and your team started, you feel the energy and you know it's it goes into meditation it goes into grounding it goes into movement it goes into all the things that are important to me as an as an artist and as a person anytime i am out of balance i go back to that same thing of okay 
we need to slow things down. We need to remove, you know, things that bother you. We need to get back to core. So I felt that same energy in your in your system, and that's why it was so exciting because that's kind of that safety. Okay, am I with the person who's going to guide me in the right direction? Yes, right energy. I am open to the new methodology. So I, I wanted to commend you and your team on that too because the energy is the key, and you had the right one. Thank you. Well, I mean, I think that's born of of me having an anchor in casting, but also an anchor in such a respect for actors, which we got right at DePaul, which, yeah. um, um, you know, is I mean, it's Stanislavski. What we what, but but that's the craft. But the room, the the vibe of the room, you have to, as a casting director, you have to make it a safe space for for wonderful accidents to happen, you know, for discoveries within the material to happen. And and it's all, um, it's not just altruistic, it's literally, that's when actors do their best and then they, you know, get hired and then you check that roll off and go on to the next, you know, project or episode or whatever. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a, part, a requirement, I think, but um, I also am just, such a nerd when it comes to, you know, Stanislavski or Meisner or Hagen or Adler or whatnot. And I um, connected with this when I first moved to Virginia, when I was like, what am I doing with my life? Did I give up this business? Um, I actually met with this amazing professor at UVA named Richard Warner. And um, an actor friend of mine said, you have to meet my professor. Um, and I did. And we just started chatting and we've literally I think it says it on our website, which is arvildwarnerstudio.com. We we haven't stopped talking. I think it's been over 10 years now. And we I just talked to him for an hour this morning. And we talk craft and we talk how can we help an actor translate classical training into the world of film and television? How can we help uh, an actor move from co-star roles into guest star roles into series regular roles because there are so many nuances that are different but then there are some really practical pragmatic things that are you know a co-star is there to help or hinder that's it it moves the story forward or it stops the story from happening it, a guest star is with that and a whole bunch of relationships going on they start making waves with relationships and so you can really analyze it quite scientifically in a way and then you put it all together and say okay now combine all that creativity and gut instinct and imagination and impulse and you know and just do do what you feel <laughs> but with with control you know with with the right m amount of control so you're not just free falling yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Richard was a part of the workshop that I was in, and there's just a lot of warmth and kindness uh, resonating out of him. Uh, it's it was it was very very nice. Uh, again, he he was saying the right things, but the way that he presented it and the energy behind it. I keep going to the energy part. He was really really nice. Um, I know well, we did. invitation, right? Like to me, it's just an invitation. We're not, you know, there's no prescription for art. It's right. just an offering of here's a perspective. And mm -hmm. if it works for you, amazing. And and we're all, are, I mean, I worked at so many different casting offices to learn what I liked about certain methodologies, approaches, taste. All I mean, I was trained by so many people and have, have wonderful mentors as a casting director. And then I have separate mentors with some of my other jobs that I do, but it like, 
I don't know how else the world goes round without kind of an apprenticeship, really. And I think actors need something at least parallel to an apprenticeship. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, just talk about getting on set. Uh, you think you know what to do as an actor, then you get on set. It's a completely different world. You forget pretty much everything that you learn and all of the things you're supposed to be thinking about because everything is moving at ridiculous speeds and you barely get a chance to breathe. So it takes time. And that's where the apprenticeship uh, comes in of, okay, settle down. It's like, you know, you're an athlete. So uh, there's a usual adage in sports. Once you come out of college and you go to the pros, it is a different game at a different speed. And it takes you time to adjust and get back to, oh, yes, I can be myself. Now things are slowing down. I can actually do what I need to do. So it's it, it takes time. And uh, I wish there was more of a structure of apprenticeship. But it's time, it's money, it's projects, and it's, it's hard to come by. Um, I know we don't have enough time to talk about your methodology, but if you could give us some key points of what you are teaching uh, actors that you think are important that go back to the uh, to the you know your and uh, Mr. Warner's uh, methodology. Yeah, I mean, we Richard and I over the years of talking always were both curious about how to effectively translate and support classical trainings based in Stanislavski with all the derivatives, like I mentioned earlier, right? Um, how can that be translated in an effective and meaningful way, an organic way into film and television preparation, which is, as you say, is a condensed period of time. We don't have four to six weeks to rehearse like a play. We might have three hours to put an audition on tape, right? And so, so what is that? What are the poignant points and and poignant points? That's a fun fun alliteration. Um, but the the idea is that we've come up with ten steps. In this morning, we were talking about step eleven. It's always in process, right? Always. But um, but we broke it down to some five steps, really based in script analysis, and then five steps in character embodiment with the full body. And we've found that it is incredibly effective. We're not reinventing the wheel. These are all derived from the classic training um, that I mentioned, but the sequence of them and the, the order of them and how we start wide and then go specific, um, that I think is probably um, something that we added that we feel very strongly about in terms of like how we how we put it together. And so that's the core of everything we do. But now we're having so many more classes, even our curriculum is expanding based on this core 10 steps that that um, is what Meryl Streep still does. Like these are classical steps, you know. <laughs> Yeah, um, and everybody kind of develops things for themselves. And having gone, you know, through a workshop of yours, I definitely saw things that I'm applying uh, since then. You know, I came up with my own methodology. We don't have time to go into it. I'll send you a link if if you and uh, you know uh, Richard want to take a look at it. But it, it works for me. So that's kind of my you know. What's important? I think novel approach. I don't know. I haven't seen it. You know, kind of talked about before. So I created it for myself. Anyway. Um, I want to talk to you, you know, from the casting side because I get a chance to talk to wonderful casting directors and 
there are some similarities and there is a world of difference of opinions on topic. So I have something that you know I lovingly call the uh, the casting director lightning round uh, that I wanted to kind of. This is great. Can I just tell you first? My husband always laughs. He's not in the industry, but he is always like, "Oh, Erica, if I know." when you're talking to another casting director. He's like, it's like this language that only you grew up with, you know, and you just have this connection and you start talking. And he's like, it's the most wild thing because there aren't many of us casting directors in the world. There are very few, you know, probably 2000 at the most in the whole, on the whole planet, <laughs> you know? And it's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting group uh, that I've come to, I've come to admire the more, the more, uh, casting directors I talk to, the more I start getting a feel for what that world is like. It's it's definitely a different world. Um, okay, let's let's get into it. So um, right now, a lot of things are self tape, and uh, maybe moving forward, it's going to be mostly self tape. Um, how many seconds do you find that you need in order to see if somebody is going forward or moving up? Um. I'll usually know less than 10 seconds for sure, but um, <clears throat> but my process is, is I see the cream of the crop because my associates and assistants watch all the tapes. And so I usually give it much longer than that because I want to respect their thoughts about it. If I'm going through things from scratch and I have a thousand tapes to watch and I have one hour to watch them, it'll be 10 seconds. Yeah. The other thing that... That's real. Yeah. Right. I, I heard the same thing from uh, from people. It usually varies between like, you know, 10 seconds to 20 seconds. And that's that's as much as people get. Um, one well, thing you know, that funny. Alan, last night I taught a self-tape R&R class and I had all the um, participants I watched. We all watched together the first 10 seconds of every one of their tapes because yep. they just provided. And I gave the assignment to all the participants and the observers to, um, I just gave them a made up, a made up role, had to be nothing to do with anything that people provided. And they were like, oh, it's the essence, it's the person that, and they, and they were like, boom, mind blown, it was exciting. But I did 10 seconds of each and all of them were like, yeah, we can totally make a decision off of those 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah, um, thank you for that. So uh, one, one question that's not here, but that came up uh, in our discussion right now is, just how many submissions you're getting. So when we're talking about, you know, let's say an HBO series or a Showtime series that uh, that you're doing something for, for a co-star role, how many submissions do you get on average? It is impossible to answer that question because okay. if the co-star role is someone who who is you know it's mandatory that they're at least six foot eight and that they are able to juggle and that they have what like will get such a small amount and if it's like it could be anyone and mm -hmm. it's a bus driver and we don't even need you to have to drive it could be thousands and so it's it's a question that i get asked a lot and it's very it's hard to answer but also here's my here's my philosophy i don't think actors um should be worried about that i suppose it's information that's interesting but my question back is 
if you knew there were five submissions or 5,000 submissions, are you going to then phone in your audition because you feel like you've got it? Are, there, are you going to work harder on one than the other? Like, and if your answer, if actors out there, your answer is yes, then you're in the wrong mindset in my mind. Yeah. Uh, where I was going with this is uh, actors, you know, get auditions and then they think, oh, okay, it's a small role. I want people to understand that when you're getting an audition, you have been chosen for that audition out of, you know, hundreds or thousands of submissions. So the fact that you got an audition should be already a great sign to you. That's where I'm going with all this. Yeah, I think you're right. And in our office, because we, we do, I mean, we have an Atlanta office too, but I'm currently in our Virginia, um, I'm at home in Virginia because we closed our office because of COVID. Right. We're doing everything online. So it's great. But the um, we have people audition for a lot of roles when we have a show with a lot of roles. And some people get a little atrophied and, and frustrated because they're like, can't you just, you know, figure out. And it's like, yeah, that's what we're doing. And here's the method to my my madness. Yeah. A, we're giving so much experience auditioning for real. There's nothing like really self-taping versus fake tape self-taping for a class. You know, there's just, it's different. It's just the stakes are different and you can't make it up. The more roles you audition for, the more you're realizing what the whole story's about because we're not sending scripts, right? So all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's more information there. You start getting more of the tone of the show. And guess what? Who's watching every single one of those tapes getting to know you? And so um, I think it's the rare bird that's like, don't waste my time with all of these. And I know it's a commitment, but isn't that why people got into acting? To act. So what a great opportunity to act again and again and again, regardless yeah. of being hired. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, and the, the smart actors know that when you're auditioning, you're auditioning for the casting director. It's not necessarily for the specific role. You're auditioning because you're gonna get seen. Whether this is a right fit or something else is, that's not the, that's, that's kind of not the point of, of that exercise. Do your best and then time will tell. Um, all right, preferred self-tape background color. I love that question and the answers to it. Oh, background color? Something, um, certainly not green screen or blue screen. And certainly something that, flatters your skin tone, your eye color, and is not the same color as your hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that makes sense. Um, dress for the part or, you know, more generic? Lean into dressing for the part. So if it's a period Civil War film, do not wear a neon green football jersey. You want to wear cotton with organic colors that leans into it. But if you come in with, you know, a fire person's uniform because it's a fireman outfit or whatever, like then no way, Jose. <laughs> a t-shirt's fine. Like you're at the fire station, right? Like that would work. Hold <laughs> uh, sides or be open? Um, self-taping mm -hmm. do not <laughs> i'm going to change the question a little do not use a teleprompter i will go crazy yeah. and i cannot tell you the amount of people that do this right now like at post pandemic 
everyone is either taping their sides or having them on their computer or having you know the equivalent of a teleprompter and literally this is what i'm talking to you right so you're watching me and then uh okay now okay and and literally this is this is the uh this is what they do and i'm just like i could i could die so no be familiar enough with the objective of the character that you're not phoning it in the thing i think when people are reading so that so i have seen people like look down and up but i don't see it so the most effective if you have to hold your sides yeah just have them for one second up here and look down and then put them down and you know oh okay but maybe look at them once at max max yeah. Otherwise, keep the, it's all about in-character thinking. It's not about the words. You have to get the words right because the writer's gonna watch it, right? But it's not about the words. It's about your in-character thinking. And so your eyes have to be up. I agree. Um, Boy, I'm so passionate, sorry. Ooh, I'm not yelling at you. I just get very excited. I, me, me too. Uh, and uh, it surprised me, by the way, that some people were taught that you have to bring sides with you because you're showing to the casting director that you're not fully done, but you're in the process. And it it was weird to me because a part of my job as an actor is to know the words, is to know the lines. And I don't want to be looking because it takes my focus away unless I can incorporate and the you know yes. the character is looking and they're doing something that it makes sense to me. Otherwise it it's just it's weird. And for, well, you know I'll, why? Yeah. You know why that exists? Because, um, first of all, there's a SAG rule that you cannot require actors to memorize for an audition because that's considered work and they have to be compensated. So you okay. may never, ever, as a casting director, require something to be uh, uh, memorized. Secondly, in-person auditions, when no. actors come in in person into the room and the writer and director are in the room, if they don't hold their sides, they're giving the subliminal um, information to everyone in the room that they are a done deal, that they can't take direction because they have it set. And so when they walk into the room and have the sides, they can like put them on a chair, they yeah. can never look at them, but that is a subliminal clue to exactly what you're saying, saying I this is just my version and I'm ready to play. But that doesn't translate to self-tapes because right. of the in-character thinking. But that's why. And it existed. And I was a big advocate. And I'm still, if it's an in-person callback, whenever we get back to that, I still think people should have sides in their hand or the script in their hand. They can put it in a chair. But it, it I have seen time and time again direction happen when the script is in hand versus direction not happen when someone doesn't have it. That's so odd to me because, again, I'm not trying to isolate myself or, or to put myself on the pedestal, but anytime I walk into an audition, I have my uh, my take, I have my choice that I've made, and then I have two, three, four others that I've played with, and I pride myself on being malleable and taking the direction saying, yeah, okay, yeah, let's dial this part up, let's go here with this, and I don't need to have the script for that, but if it sends... You don't have to have, you don't, yeah. you, I know, right. but... but just this weird thing, and the director will say, oh, they have it, this is great, let's play. But I'm telling you, the, the visual, it's like making a movie, right? It's just okay. the teeniest visual clue that is influential subconsciously. 
I I will make that note. Thank you. I will now be bringing it with me, even though I never look at it. Um, accent or no accent? Um, depends on the role. Depends on the character. Right. So again, different uh, different version. Right. Some people say no, no, no accent at all. I want to hear you in your in your natural uh, tongue. The way that I approach things is that even if it doesn't say on the page. Um, when I'm reading, I'm getting a feeling for what this person is like, what they feel like, what they dress like, what they talk like, the mannerisms, and an accent or a dialect or the way of speaking comes to mind. So I'm always the one of, if it feels like I should be doing this, I usually will go and do it. And I've uh, only a few times that I hear is like, okay, now let's do it <laughs> in your regular. Most of the time, if it, if it resonates, if it's grounded, then it's good. Some people just say no accent, don't do it. It just upsets them. Or they saying do an American accent. Uh, well, so um, yeah, it's 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 an American, or usually uh, you know somebody sounds like they're from Boston, so I, I want to do that. Or somebody really sounds uh, posh, and it feels like they would be, even though they're here, they really are coming from uh, from Britain. That late. Like I'll huh? listen to the slate to find out how they really sound. Okay. So I'll know. Like in a lot of projects, um, you know, we do some projects that are in the south, and so it'll say southern accent. It's like, well, hello, there's only four thousand southern accents, right? Mm -hmm. So where is it from and about? And so I love listening to those slates to find out, you know, okay. if I can hear where the region is or um, or sometimes they say that's the thing we've started incorporating is we have for most of the projects we're on currently is we have a, a, a request of 30 seconds of a story so that people can just tell us about themselves, how they connect to the material, what they got from the grocery store, introduce us to their dog. And it has been the most fun because I love meeting people in person. I love chatting before or after the audition, just to get to know them a little bit. And we're not afforded that right now. And I still have virtual sessions, but it's not the same thing. Um, and you can't have virtual sessions of as many people as you need to see these days. So um, so these stories have been amazing. I mean, literally someone shared a sunset with me in Hawaii and that was their 30 seconds. And someone showed me what they were barbecuing outside. I'm trying to think, it, I mean, it's been amazing. And it's not, hello, I like long walks on the beach. It's not that, it's here's a glimpse into me right now. And it's been one of the most useful casting tools. Very cool. Um, one thing that, actors do in an audition that drive you crazy? Smoke, smell, or too much perfume. That's in person. If you're a smoker, I'm allergic, very okay. allergic. Don't come to an audition within like four hours of smoking and wash your hands a hundred times before you walk in. Wow, very cool. Um, last thing, especially- I, the other thing, I can tell you the other thing is not being prepared. That's well, the thing. Like, yeah. The last uh, thing from this lightning round is, especially on the self-tapes, where should the eyes be? The eyes should be one inch from the camera lens. Got it. Not straight into the lens, but just near it. I mean, just remember, especially, especially if people are taping on their computers these days rather than the camera, like having a camera thing, is, you know, an inch could seem like a foot. 
you know, it's so exaggerated, it's exaggerated. It depends on, you know, how far away you are from the camera and everything like that too. But um, um, yeah, we need to see your thoughts. The only way we can see your thoughts is if your eyes are nearer to the lens. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, and this is not in the lightning round anymore, but uh, if- That was uh, light, I can talk, Alan. <laughs> Uh, if you had to give one bit of acting advice to all the actors watching this, what would it be? Trust your instinct. Mm -hmm. Listen to your creative instinct, and and that will that will slowly but surely replace the need to say, "I want to do." I what do they want? What are they looking for? How can I be what they want? inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter, millimeter by millimeter. If you're like, ah, oh, this is what I can bring to the material. This is how I resonate with the material. This is what makes it fun and creatively and artistically interesting to me. All of a sudden you have something to say, you have a point of view, you become a collaborator, you become part of the storytelling. And approaching it that way is what I would wish upon every screen artist. Uh, thank you, Erica. It's been a pleasure uh, having you on. I really appreciate it. Again, I will always be grateful, regardless of anything that happens uh, in the future. And uh, best of luck. I, I really, really appreciate you coming. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been really fun. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for joining us on another episode of The Love of Acting. We know you love it as much as we do, and that's why we're still continuing to do this. Thank you. Thank you.